coming to you from our new home at DynastyLeagueFootball.com and a DLF family of podcasts. We are the Superflex Super Show. We talk QB values, Superflex strategies, evaluate and debate Superflex trades, plus our own twist on Superflex team management with exercises like Tinderflex, Super 6, and You Are Nuts. So when you're done with this awesome DLF podcast, find us on Twitter at Superflex Show and join us in the discussion of the fastest growing format in all of fantasy football, Superflex, on the Superflex Super Show. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and learn some at once. When the math's not adding up, you said I'm checking out. I'm just Welcome to the ground. Welcome to the Dynasty Crossroads. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts, and today we are going to ramble in general about breakouts and some things that I think about, some things that I think may have been missed or keep getting missed about them, both the running back and wide receiver position. But I am going to drop some names on players that I think are undervalued since drafts are very much underway or about to be underway, and the season's nearly here, and we need to start thinking about constructing our roster uh, for the actual season. So. Breakout running backs, what do I know? <sighs> okay, long pause while I try to remember all the stuff I just filtered through. Um, there are two types of breakout running backs, um, especially if they don't break out year one, because that's just about college profile evaluation. And I will point out that the majority of running back breakouts do happen in year one. That's the year we want running backs to break out. And two, like all, a lot of the players at the top of my list for undervalued and really interesting value propositions in Dynasty for 2021 are just the rookie running backs. And that's really kind of iffy coming off a of Keyshawn Vaughn year. And uh, we got three games at the end for for Cam Akers and DeAndre Swift. And Clyde edwards Lair was usable kind of a year. But it remains true. And if I flick over to uh, this, and I'm just narrating it now to remind myself what I was going to do. Yeah, like 46% of players that break out into the top 24 at running back do so in year one. However, when we're talking about top break, five breakouts, top 12 breakouts, as in running backs that finish in the top 12 in PPR scoring, it's a lot more evenly split between what year one, two, and three than you might think. 28% of top 12 running back breakouts happen in year one. That's the highest percentage. Year one is really the target year. But in year two, 24% breakout. That's not nearly the steep drop-off that we get at wide receiver or most other positions. There's not as much differentiation between one and three if we're specifically looking at top 12 breakouts. Year three, 20%. So, you know, we're talking about a drop of 4% of the breakouts happening every year. And after that, falls off a cliff, because really, if you don't break out in your first three years, you don't at running back more than any other position, Derek Henry notwithstanding. So you have kind of an even proposition bet. Year one is de- definitely has an edge, but year two and three, um, you're still in very much more in the breakout window than, say, for a wide receiver, where 41% of top 24 players break out in year one, then 22%, so it drops by half. And in year three, 14% of breakouts happen in year three for top 24 wide receivers. Now, this all came when I was just trying to sum everything up, put it in a table, and that's where I was like, I wonder what top 12 would do when I do that. And that's where we get to the weird thing that means that I'm up at 4 a.m. three days late for this podcast instead of, you know, a nice 10 p.m. bedtime 
for good old PA Howdy uh, and doing it on time on Saturday. But here we are. So let me stick with running backs for a second. Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson, and DeAndre Swift are the three younger running backs going into year two that are being drafted in the first three rounds in Dynasty and in redraft. And yet, I think that's creating more of a value proposition because Najee Harris is being drafted behind those f- the first two on that list and DeAndre Swift being draft be- drafted behind all three. So those first-year breakouts are being drafted behind those second-year breakouts even though the first year does have an edge. Now, as I like to learn from ADP and beat it instead of, you know, getting cooked by it by continually thinking I'm smarter than the consensus, which I'm probably not... And I do think that's a representation or a reflection on what we think of the draft class, especially when we're looking at Dynasty ADP and we're also sharp and just goddamn great at assessing rookie wide receivers and beating the 50% curve of the consensus market in ADP. So 2020 class is stronger than the 2021 class. However, I do think Najee Harris would fit in very well to the 2020 class if he had been drafted that year. And so I'm not sure he's that much of a different value proposition bet in year one compared to Cam Akers, who's going at the end or mid to end of the first round, even in Dynasty right now. And and, and Najee Harris is going towards the back of the second round that's a significant difference. But everyone can pick and choose between the top 12, so I didn't want to stick here. But I do think Travis Etne is going like two rounds after all of these guys. And while I do think he's a lesser prospect than Najee Harris, he's not that much of a lesser prospect as far as I can get to it with running back analysis. And we've talked about how that's a little... I throw my weight behind that a little bit less than I do at wide receiver tight end. But it's still there, and that seems to be what the other analysis I read and take on believes. And Devontae Williams is pretty much neck and neck with Travis Etne for my money, although there are some significant differences that put Etne ahead of Williams for me. But go back to like the last three months of podcasts and videos if you want why I think these things about rookies. But, you know already articulated that process but he's going even later like drafting in the scott fishbowl i was stuck between a decision at the end of the and drafting at the one spot and again you don't have to care about the scott fishbowl if you don't but you should because it's charity and fun and there's lots of fun stuff going on but anyway if you don't it's not a scott fishbowl podcast it's just that's what i'm doing and what i'm paying attention to right now which made this come up that's the draft i'm in if you like um cream hunt miles gaskin and travis etne And I know I love James Robinson more than everyone else on the planet because he's an undrafted free agent running back that hit in year one as hard as any running back can hit. But why do I like him less than everyone right now? Because I think James Robinson fits in that conversation. He could play the Kareem Hunt role, I guess, to Nick Chubb, but he's not really that guy because the team's definitely gone out to replace him with draft capital with Travis Etne with Kareem Hunt with free value on the waiver wire market after some personal issues made the Kansas City Chiefs had to push him out the door to try and make a play to look like they do actually care about those kind of off-field issues which they definitely don't if you look at their roster and their team history but not here to judge just score fantasy points right now so Kareem Hunt is playing a backup role to Nick Chubb, constantly holding them back, despite two top 12 seasons, because Nick Chubb is phenomenally talented, but Kareem Hunt has that talent, and the team invested in him basically because he had free value, and so he's co-opting more of the volume, and running back talent is a, in fantasy football is basically uh, an equal sign to volume 
um, is the best way we can separate it out. That's not James Robinson's fate. As much as I would like to believe it, I do think he fits into that conversation as a potential usable running back behind Travis Etne. And maybe Travis Etne isn't as good as we hope he might be able to, but the team's going to throw the volume at him and give him every chance to do that. So why am I... Like, I I almost didn't draft Travis Etne, ETN, apologies to his mother, um, because it felt like I didn't know something. Like, why is a, a running back one with top 12 potential on a team that should regress up in rushing touchdowns next year going behind running back twos who have talent but definitely are the, the, the second player on their own depth chart like Kareem Hunt. I also took Miles Gaskin for the same reason. Now, when I looked at it, I wanted Hunt and Gaskin. I had them last year. And Scott Fishbourne, I just want to ride with my guys. No, I just, that was what was in my head. Kareem Hunt is a more talented player because for a second on the clock, it's hard to remember that running back equals volume when you know what Kareem Hunt's done in the league for football. And also the nasty things he did off the field are a year away. And um, we are surprisingly good at forgetting things we don't want to remember. So, I broke it down and looked at percentage of games last year. Instead of just looking at total finishes in the top 5, top 12, I looked at the percentage because it's just one season, but running back is volume, and Miles Gaskin, I know, played a shortened season. He wasn't available towards the end of the year, and it's one of the reasons I slipped out of the playoffs, as well as a fall um, in production from Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray in the same week. Man, it was rough. Anyway, so... Yeah, it turns out Myers Gaskin last year, playing two less games than Kareem Hunt, had a higher percentage in the top five in scoring, in the top 12 in scoring, the top 24 in scoring, was basically 100% of his games were in the top 36. Uh, Let me just check that because I didn't pull up the picture because I thought I could remember it. Yeah, 100% of his games were inside the top 36, 90% were inside the top 30, 80% inside the top 24, like 10% of the games he played last year were inside the top five. Now, he's not going to repeat that because it's Miami and it's Miles Gaskin. And Kareem Hunt, we're not comparing talent so much as what they did last year. And again, running back talent is very difficult to separate out from volume, even if you want to say, I know it when I see it and I believe you. I think I do too, but I can't trust it. Last year, Kareem Hunt had 6% of his games in the top five. Again, why he was such a good value falling late to being Nick Chubb's two or best friend or whatever he is in that. Uh, running back committee there by the way Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb doing that in the same offense isn't just a testament to how talented they are but how hard that split is and how much that team is doing in the running game but that's neither here nor there 18% of Kareem Hunt's games are inside the top 12 so that's twice the percentage for Miles Gaskin essentially 30% of his games were inside the top 12 so you know it would actually be 36 if it was twice but you know don't 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 err around me, nerd, okay? So essentially, Miles Gaskin is one in Miami and was already, in a limited sample size, producing more numbers of ceiling and usable weeks last year for a team that I really think is a good target for 2021. Why do I even have Kareem Hunt and Miles Gaskin in the same conversation? That leads back to why Addison Hayes for DLF was making a video about him being undervalued two months ago and us already feeling or I already feeling like, yeah, but we already know that. But it feels I needed to be reminded of that by myself on the clock. So uh, just for fun, I went back and looked at their careers because I got asked about it. I asked about it in my nerd chat just to check 
that I wasn't insane and it wasn't something I didn't know because honestly, on the clock, you, I, I, it really does feel like you're just insane. Sometimes I get it, but cr- I went back and looked at their careers. Cream Hunt in 2017 and 2018, those two great years for football at least, uh, that he had with Kansas City, who is averaging 2 and 1.92 yards per team attempt. So that's a good baseline of what a good player can do at that level, right? Miles Gaskin had 1.68 yards per team attempt last year, which is less. Neat. But yards per snap, which is a preferred metric or a version of it, yards per run these days, um, he was averaging 2.42. So he's on the field less and being more efficient on a per snap basis, which is almost exactly the same with what Kareem Hunt was doing back in 2017 and 2018. Again, running back weirdly, is basically just an equal sign directly to volume, and Miles Gaskin had it last year, and the team has made absolutely no effort in the same way that Miles Mike Davis um, for Atlanta. The team has made every effort to indicate that they are going to be the guys to get volume if there is volume to be gotten in those offenses, which there should be, especially considering I think Miami should have an upside look based on their overall ADP at every position from Tua to Will Fuller to Devontae Parker and Miles Gaskin. Even Mike Gasecki with two top 12 seasons on his record right now is just a freebie pick whenever you feel like you need a tight end. So it's a really good team to target right now. And Miles Gaskin is a running back one on a team that could be swinging up as opposed to Cleveland who should maintain being pretty good but overall disappointing. Because Baker Mayfield isn't the next, wasn't Justin Herbert essentially the way he started his career. So those, all of those running backs I mentioned, Etn, Javante Williams, Najee Harris, Miles Gaskin, all seem to be a little undervalued this year for me. Despite how easy it is to go heavy running back this year in drafts that have been practicing on Underdog and um, DraftKings and just mock drafts on Andy Eskridge's the FF Workshop. Um, app, it's really easy to go heavy running back for a player who usually focuses wide receiver, even using Dynasty um, ADP. But there's enough value slightly down the rounds that we can lock in those higher scoring wide receivers, which are more likely to be those higher scoring wide receivers, without a lot of fear of not getting running back production in those mid rounds, mid to late rounds. And I think that's worth noting based on how your drafts or how your league is swinging this year. There's some interesting running back value going on this year, especially since about four running backs are going to finish inside the top 12 in 2021 that are not being drafted inside the top 24 and were not inside the top 12 last year. Currently, outside of um, players who didn't record a stat last year, like Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, uh, and also Cam Akers, who's now being drafted inside the top 12. All of those gu- other guys would dr- finish in the top 12 last year, and at least four of them are on the block. It's something we that's repeatedly known about running back year over year. About four guys are going to break in. Obviously, there's variance in that number, but four's a pretty good ex- expectation of those that are actually going to bust out or running backs that are going to bust in. Interestingly enough, Kareem Hunt, despite being outproduced in terms of ceiling and usable weeks by our Miles Gaskin in that shorter sample, he was a top 12 running back last year in overall PPR scoring, and Miles Gaskin was beating him uh, like one for one, uh, Just and he's the one, and we can expect that running back usage to increase because he's hopefully not going to be injured this year, which is the same game we're playing with Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey, so we should feel comfortable making that bet. 
So what two type of breakout running backs are there? That's how I started this. The running backs we can expect to grow in opportunity because opportunity equals fantasy points, essentially, especially at the running back position. And the running backs we can expect their opportunity to be more valuable than expected. The two second-year breakouts that happened most recently in 2020 were David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs. They finished inside the top 12 in PPR scoring. I know I didn't believe it about Josh Jacobs either, but it happened. Check me. Um, <laughs> so they are actually second-year breakouts. They had the full workload year one. Like they had a running back one workload with like a 55% opportunity score. And then they were somewhat disappointing because they didn't get inside the top 12 with that workload. And we dropped them in the ADP, which seems to be a reasonable response since we can't expect them to be that first type of breakout running back that we're expecting Cam Akers and DeAndre Swift to be. And even Antonio Gibson, who I pretty much think had the role he's going to have, but still, that's a story for another time because we're already at 24 minutes. So those running backs were expecting to increase in opportunity because of what we saw towards the end of the season for them and what we think of them in college. I get it. I do think Cam Akers is just in more of a committee than we're willing to admit because Daryl Henderson had about the exact same season and only got outtouched in those exactly those three games, which would also be a strength of schedule thing. Which brings us back to David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs because I'm staying on task here, damn it. Both of those running backs had the workload disappointed and yet broke out in year two. Now, interestingly enough, in terms of running back breakouts, it's not perfect, but based on my research so far, it's fair to say it's an even split between breakout year running backs in those first three years where 20% essentially of all breakouts happen in each of those years, in year one, two, and three. 50% or so of them are the first type of breakout running back where they escalate an opportunity and therefore equal more fantasy points and break into the top 12 or have an outbeat out their expectation in draft capital for fantasy points. And the other half are players who had the opportunity disappointed and then through variance, luck, efficiency, or a better team situation, so on and so on and so forth, and actually break into the top 12 or, again, beat draft capital expectation for their points per game. Now, it's and David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs, despite that breakout, both dropped in ADP, by the way, which I also feel. I don't think they're better than they're being drafted. Here's the thing. The difference between them and Cam Akers and John Dre Swift is hype. So that's it. David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs did what we hope Cream uh, Cam Akers and DeAndre Swift can do this year, but we won't drop their value if they do it. Whereas Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery dropped in value because we don't like them. Like that's 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 one path to understanding why some people are so surprised you're willing to draft Cam Akers that high. The difference between him and David Montgomery is the type of breakout you're looking at which is, again, a pretty much a 50-50 split between who breaks out and who doesn't, and the fact you like him more, and so you're going to value his points more. That's it. And If you're seeking points, I'll give you that all day, and I'll just take the same points for less and go shop with the extra change. That's, that's why, essentially. Even if he hits, which, again, 24% of running backs break out in year two. Some of those were Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery's. Um, so there is a decent chance for it to happen next year. I'm not trying to poo-poo that idea. And there is that definite type of archetypal breakout players who work into their opportunity. However, when I dug back through that history, while it is a 50-50 split, 
not for nothing, in terms of players who go on to have a better fantasy career, I really highlighted about three, and this is where we get to, you're not going to make that deadline of 30 minutes, but look, um, where did I put that damn sheet? All right, running backs who break out in their second year into the top 12. I sorted by opportunity cost in their, since it was their second year breakout in their first year. Those that had less than 30, less than 35% opportunity to score, which is the average of top 20, top 12 breakouts in year two, um, include several players who've had multiple top five or multiple top 12 seasons. In other words, good players come from there. Jamal Charles is there. Devontae Freeman is there, although he didn't have multiple top five seasons, only had two top 12 seasons, as we remember. But also Arian Foster. Here's the thing about all the ones that stand out as, you know, these ones you would like to have drafted, who have who were that first type of architect had a lower opportunity to score than you wanted, but you think they can work into it based on what you saw in year one. All of them had really good reasons for not doing so in year one. Arian Foster was undrafted. Like, again, James Montgomery is, a, is the... He's an Arian Foster unicorn. And Arian Foster is a unicorn's unicorn. I don't even know how many, uh, you know delineations we are unicornness at this point but james robinson's out there in terms of unicorn land okay and but you can't expect an undrafted free agent to do that because of those odds so arian foster not breaking out year one with a 12 percent opportunity score like that's not a good case and he's one of the guys with multiple top 12 seasons like one of four maybe who fit that archetype and again we're talking about a small sample anyway so it's not like four or five is a bad number i'm not trying to poo poo cam Akers. i'm just saying like arian foster had a really good reason for not breaking out year one another good player melvin gordon that's fair he had the draft capital as well but he had a 40 percent opportunity score like that's where i drew the line that's more than both swift and acres had last year by a significant degree of separation and so we get stuck with players like sean alexander who happened he, he was drafted in 2000 i think broke out in 2001 in his second year long before i even knew what american football was so i went and looked and i kept finding this exact same trend kept happening to me and maybe it's just bias because it was happening live but Ricky Walters was on the team the year that Sean Alexander was drafted and I don't have him in my database so I can't tell you exact numbers but I'm looking at least at seven or eight thousand yard seasons and like multiple double digit touchdowns I'm pretty sure Ricky Walters was good and that's a really good reason and he was a high round second round draft pick with multiple seasons on his record the first year Sean Alexander played that's a really good reason not to break out year one you're behind you've been drafted behind and um, with you know uh, draft capital 19 so he was drafted uh, in the first round but he was drafted behind this prolific running back so I get that Daryl Henderson isn't that I mean I actually think he's better than expected but like that's isn't that doesn't that feel a little different than Darren Waters? Okay, another guy. How about Stephen Jackson? He only had a thirty-three percent opportunity score, almost exactly like Cam Akers had. So he fits that archetype, and there's a reason that we can hope for it. He had five top twelve seasons. Um, Stephen Jackson, who was it that was on his team uh, when he was drafted? I forget. Larry Johnson. I, I'm gonna have to back up my tab here. Oh no, that was uh, Jamal Charles. He was also one of these lower opportunity scores year one, then broke out year two, and he had uh, Larry Johnson on the team 
And so, you know, that's a good reason for a slow breakout. That's a, a first-round running work with at least decent production um, in the years prior. And so he was just in more of a committee. Jamal Charles only played 14 games, only started one. Like, and Frank Gore, second-year breakout with multiple top 12 uh, players on uh, seasons on his record, still in the league because he is the ever-living and so on and so forth. But in his rookie season... Uh, who was he playing behind? He was playing behind uh, Kevin Barlow, who, again, isn't a player I know, and I know if you know football pretty well. This all sounds funny to you because I'm so... Like, this was... In 2000, I was just interested in Steve Bud Bull and the Wolverhampton Wanderers, okay? I didn't know none of this existed. But he has a thousand-year rushing um, on his history before um, Frank Gore turned up. So it's not like that doesn't compare to the Daryl Henderson story for Cam Akers, it's normally been a little bit of a stronger reason. It's all I'm kind of seeing when I look at these lower opportunity scores who work into opportunity. But again, they fit the pattern. It was just interesting. If you knew more about the history of those guys, then I would recommend learning more as I am to try and fluff, fluff out, fill out those gaps in the narrative. I'm not exactly sure the reasons are as strong as we think. Because those are the names. It's uh, Melvin Gordon's too high, but Stephen Jackson, um, Frank Gore, Jamal Charles, Sean Alexander, and I'm just ruling out Aaron Foster. Those are the guys with high upside for like multiple top twelve seasons who broke out their second year, having had a lower opportunity score. I.e., they worked into it presumably late, and and their seasons looked more like Cam Akers and and uh, uh, DeAndre Swift. And I feel like that's presented like that happens all the time. I, I can literally find four guys with multiple fantasy relevancy. I mean, there are more guys that break out inside the top twelve, but we're talking about we're talking about the Tariq Cohens of the world, Brian Matthews, um, Deuce McAllister. Didn't even know he was a person. James Connor, C.J. Anderson, who was also lower drafted. Like it's not. The typical for multiple relevant, but again, we like the 2020 class. I just think it's worth noting that it's not quite as common as I think it's been represented to me. Where was it? Ah, yeah. So uh, I slipped into one of the areas of research I planned uh, planned not to bring up here. But anyway, what was I? Um, breakout. So yeah, I think there's really interesting mid round value this year outside the top seven rounds um, and outside the running back dead zone. Honestly, according to the ADP I've been looking at and the experience I'm having in the Scott Fishbowl, you can get rookie running backs who are more likely to, or that's the highest hit rate group, into the top 12, into the top 24, um, and also running backs who were performing as well as top 12 running backs in a smaller sample and could work into a bigger opportunity share but are being lower drafted because low draft capital. So almost the opposite reason that Cam Akers and Jandre Swift are being held up on that lower opportunity share last year. Um, and I think they're interesting prospects this year, and it's worth noting. The other weird trend I found, just to get out of here on like a, like a, like a mic drop, Something I was talking about in my wide receiver breakout article is that wide receivers tend to break out at their level. Something I found was that wide receivers would break into the side the top twenty, the top twelve, tend to have not had a top twenty four season before that. So they break out into the top twelve. They don't graduate from top twenty four to top twelve like it's a senior class situation in their first three years after that. The games are foot, and we can have plenty of we can have our Robert Woods and need it too, but. 
Something I didn't rethought of for after learning that, because I had to write all that up for my article, is what if we apply draft capital to that, and also top 12 seasons to that, after reworking it into a top 12 situation? The second year for wide receiver is still the most likely breakout, especially when you take the culmination of all the fantasy-relevant seasons we want. 24% of wide receivers break inside the top 12 in their second year, 22%, and... Uh, break out into their second year as well but a larger percentage of players who break into the top 12 actually do it in their third season did that i don't feel like i said that right few this makes sense right there are very few players who break inside into the top 12 in their first season basically this forever stop it with the jamar chase love you're pushing his adp to places that i cannot follow and i do not like it Anyway, but third year breakouts into the top 12, again, unlikely to have been in the top 24 based on the average and the research I did for that article, is the most common grouping of year that players break into the top 12. Like, that's the common breakout year inside the top 12. They also represent, on average, fewer top 12 seasons. If you break out year one, you're more likely to have more top 12 seasons moving forward, hence more dynasty value. Same with year two. Year three, it drops by about a season as well. It's like average of 3.5, average of 3, average of 2.5 if you're a third-year breakout. Interestingly, though, this led me to look at how many seasons just in general since 2000 have come from this level of breakout so uh, this is the type of thing where i have to read numbers to you or show you a chart so sorry here are some numbers since 2000 like all the way back to 2000 going back to the depth of my database but this actually remains consistent if i take it back up to 2009 which is why i just pushed it all the way back because i may as well see the full number about four percent of top 12 seasons about 4% of top 12 seasons for wide receiver have come from first-year breakout players. So that's a Justin Jefferson's. Now, 4% is just because there's so few of them, right? 23% of top 12 seasons, all top 12 seasons since 2000, have come from second-year breakout players. 20% of top 12 seasons have come from third-year breakout players. So despite the fact that second-year breakout players are more likely to produce you more usable years if you like they're still representing a fairly reasonable proportion of the percentage of years that actually are top 12 seasons i don't know i've never looked at it through that lens and i'm finding it a pretty interesting way of going about it and just in terms of actual raw numbers putting your nose to the grindstone that phrase made no sense what percentage of actual seasons that we have been trying to start come from first, second, or third year breakout players? And it's pretty even between second and third year breakout players. I do think it's better for Dynasty to think in terms of first year breakouts are more likely to produce, you know, five or six top 12 seasons. And third year breakouts are going to produce about half of that. And so they're a little less quality of breakout, but they are pretty common. In fact, they're the most common breakout group when, again, when I was filtering through top 12 seasons, and 32% of top 12 breakouts happen in year three. So what I was looking at is who from 2020 had over 11 expected points, because that's the average for the group that actually break out 
into the top 12 the net following year. And they also average about 11.94 fantasy points. So on average, as Blair Andrews fan for Rotoviz, players that break out the next year tend to have been efficient the year before. And there's some logic to that. Teams are getting more than they are giving. And so they're more interested in giving you more, uh, giving you opportunity. And that leads to higher opportunity, uh, more targets, more points. Um, also, I went through opportunity score. Interesting enough, like breakout wide receivers the year before they break out have about 13.9% opportunity score. Obviously, they have lower opportunity scores because they're not getting any of the rushing. Um, like DK Metcalf have 90% opportunity score, which sounds nothing good like the 50 and 60% we were just talking about for running backs. Anyway, so I filtered 2020 and I was looking at second year players last year that currently don't have a top 12 season on record, right? So they would have to be third-year breakout players. And uh, some interesting names come up, came up. I thought there would be um, an interesting way to end the podcast. So potential third-year breakout players into the top 12, which is actually the most common group for players to break into the top 12 at all, um, with over 11 expected points. i got to refilter because I'd already moved on. It's a list of four players. It's Deontay Johnson, Terry McClellan, who currently does not have a top 12 season, Debo Samuel, who was actually 10 expected points per game, despite, you know, only playing seven games last year, and Marcus Brown. I think all of them, especially at their ADPs, are actually really interesting investment right now. I'm more of a Juju Smith-Schuster fan than I am a Deontay Johnson fan. For example, he's a second-year breakout. So he also wins in this column as well. Ha ha, Deontay Truthers. But especially since there's such a conflagration of value at, the, at that Pittsburgh wide receiver core, um, that they're all being drafted pretty much at values. Um, looking at their ADP, currently, well, I only have June ADP, but Deontay Johnson's been drafted in the fifth round. Terry McClellan's been drafted in the third round, which is very fair. But again, it was an interesting breakout year for a guy who just out- like completely dominated in Washington in a bad year. I don't know how Washington had a bad year last year, but they did with Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in. I know it's pretty interesting situation for Terry because I had just started to get slightly down on him because of the Washington situation. Debo Samuel's going in the seventh round in Dynasty right now. Marcus Brown is going in the 10th round. So Debo Samuel and Marcus Brown, this might be the last year I ride the Marcus Brown hype train, especially since I really like the rookies that they just lined up behind him. But Debo Samuel and Marcus Brown are both going outside the top first six rounds in Dynasty right now. And both of them are in their third year, which is actually the most common year a player breaks out for the first time into the top 12 um, and I think their name's worth knowing. Other players that didn't quite get over 10 expected points per game, but I thought were interesting, so I'm going to include them. Jacoby Myers, he's not going to break inside of the top 12, right? Bill Belichick can't do that, but he's going in the 17th round right now, so worth mentioning. Darius Slayton, as Kenny Gallagher, so what are you going to do? Travis Fulgram, basically free. He's going in the four, uh, 24th round, which is pretty much undrafted per Dynasty League Football ADP. Um, and no one else got over seven expected points per game, and so those are my players. It, it's just good night, and Nikhil Harry and, and, and Paris Campbell, I'm sorry. McCall Harmon did hit that list towards the bottom, by the way. He hasn't had a top 12 season. I think he's going into his third year next, um, next year as well. 
isn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, still out, still not taking that bet. But Debo Samuel and Marcus Brown, Terry's just, he's already priced there, but I really like him anyway, so whatever. Deontay Johnson in the fifth is interesting as well. If you, I'm under Juju Smith-Schuster train, but, you know, if you like Deontay Johnson, by all means, you know, put that feather in his cap, I guess. That 32% of top 12 breakout seasons actually come from their third year, so it's not the year to give up on that highest possible range of outcomes. It is, when you're looking at top 24 seasons, the least likely breakout year. If a player hasn't had a top 24 season yet, they're very unlikely to finish inside the top 24 this year. Um, Worth noting that Debo Samuels and Marcus Brown haven't yet had a top 24 season. So they have higher upside and much lower floors than Deontay Johnson and Terry McClellan. If you add that all together in some sort of analysis, like if you were on a podcast or something, that would probably be the way I'd say it. Uh, yeah, anyway, I thought that was interesting. And again, I I hope I hope I managed to filter all that into some interesting, valuable dynasty advice. Um, I've literally spent three days down this hole. I was just trying to make a Mars Gaskin podcast. I am out of here. Thanks for checking it out. Um, I will talk to you again next week. And uh, let me know. I, I, I honestly couldn't believe that when I found it. The most common breakout group inside the top 12, like by a significant factor, 5% happen in year one, 24% happen in year two, and then 32% of them uh, culminating in, you know, a total 60% of all top 12 breakouts in year three. Like, wow, that blew my mind. But I'm a nerd, fake nerd at least. So maybe that's just me. But let me know. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at PA Howdy. Thanks for checking it out. And I'll talk to you again next week, hopefully with a guest. Hopefully with a guest. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road. Go, clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical